three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, my brave bunny, and welcome in to Sports Hunt Chicago. My name's John Zaglore. Great to have you here. In the nation of the program, we're going to break down the Bears-Falcons game in just a second, plus... Brand new interview today with Tom Bottle, the host of Bottle and Silbe on ESPN 1000 and a former Bears wide receiver. Talk with him extensively about some Bears football, his career, and so much more. It's a great interview. Comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook John Zaglul. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. Want to start today with this? It's pretty obvious. At this point, the Bears are tanking. I find it disgraceful. I am not a supporter of it whatsoever. But what other conclusion am I supposed to draw based on how the Falcons game went? The Bears were up by 10. We were streaming. Bears were up by 10. We were talking about it. People in the stream were so excited about a potential Bears victory. Why wouldn't you be? The Bears played well. They were up by 10, 17 to 7. They were dominated at one point. Similar to the Lions game, it looked as if they were going to win. And yet, somehow, some way, they managed to blow it again. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's on purpose. How could you not see it? Up by 10 against freaking Atlanta. The Bears blew it again. Purposefully, they are tanking, and there's no doubt about it. Based on my previous comment, the Bears are the worst team right now. The NFC, second worst team in football, third overall pick at this point if the draft came today. Tell me the Bears aren't tanking. (laughs) They're doing their best to lose more games and get a better draft pick. And, well, some of you may argue that's okay. Some of you may say the Bears should be doing this. They're rebuilding anyway. I go back to the original point. You are hurting your team culture. This is the second week in a row the Bears have blown a 10-plus point lead and gone on to lose. How do you learn how to win games with a new head coach, a new GM, and a new team if you're blowing games left and right? 10 points or more. Meaning you're dominating, you're winning handily, and you just blow it. How are you supposed to learn as a team how to win? What is a win? How do we fight to maintain a lead and win a game, execute, winning culture. I mean, I can't even bet on the Bears anymore. I don't pick them to win. And there was no reason why they should have lost anyway. 
I picked them to lose because I know better, but why should they have lost? Atlanta's not impressive. They're not great. They're average. They're a 500 team. They're 5-6. and six. The Bears should have won this game. The Bears were winning this game. They looked like a lot to win. Just find it sad. We all know this is a rebuild. We all know this is not what they're supposed to be. There's greater things to come. But had the Bears actually tried or played their cards right, they could be a popular team right now. They could be a playoff team right now. Not kidding. Look at the games they've lost. Look at the teams they've lost to. They're better than the Giants. They're better than Detroit. And they're better than Atlanta. Talent-wise, they are. On paper, they are. And yet, they've lost all those games. They've blown two straight weeks, 10-plus point leads. They're the only team in NFL history, get this, to lose three straight games, scoring 29 or more points. Only team in history. Nobody else in 103 years has matched that level of mediocrity. Tell me they're not tanking. Tell me they're not trying to lose. Come on. <laughs> the game itself was okay for Justin Fields. 14 of 21, 153 yards, one touchdown, but the pick, and we'll talk more about that situation in a second, end of the game. Fields 85 yards on the ground. David Montgomery, 67. Tristan Ebner, only eight, did not look too good. The Bears' defense played okay, but they did let Marcus Mariota Pass for 131 yards and a touchdown, no picks. I think the real problem was the Bears did not capitalize on takeaways. The Bears forced a couple of fumbles, and yet they lost the game. Bears dominated in time of possession. Bears dominated in third down efficiency. Had more first downs. The Bears played a decent game offensively, and defensively they did what they were supposed to do. We talked all week about takeaways. We've talked about how the Bears have not had many as of late. They forced two. Should have won the game. But no. They blew it. They lost. Their biggest issue, once again, is penalties. Seven penalties. 56 yards given up. So the Bears had two takeaways, yet seven penalties. And lost the game. You know, at some points, you could only say tanking will take the Bears so far. Right? I mean, don't you have a bad taste in your mouth after a game like this? Then, don't even get me started. A minute 47 to go. The Bears trying to come back. Justin Fields gets hit. His shoulder's hurt. He's supposed to be dead today. They run him again. Luke Getsche. Now they're coming out saying media that, oh, supposed to be a run for David Montgomery. It was on Justin Fields. Miscommunication. I didn't see anything there. I saw a design Justin Fields run. That's what I saw when I watched the game. They could try and spin this any way they want to help out Luke Getzey, but the fact is, I think they left Fields out to try. I was not happy with their inability to protect their QB. You know, for all of you who want Justin Fields to succeed, for everybody saying we want him to be the guy, well, guess what? you got to protect him, too. He was obviously hurt. They probably should have put in Trevor Simeon because then Fields threw a pick, and that was a horrible pass, but he was in pain, too. What do you expect? This guy's hurt, and you run a design run again, then he gets hit in the head, nobody calls a penalty. What are we doing here? How is this okay for the Bears? 
And that's my main problem with everything that happened yesterday. Not, not even mentioning the 10-point lead. Blown. The Bears dominated this game, had a 10-point lead, blew it, and then on Justin Fields out to dry back. They did. What's the old parental adage? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. It's the same thing here. I'm not mad, and I am mad, but I'm mainly disappointed. The tanking argument can only go so far. I want to see some sort of competitiveness and wins. You are not going to build a culture blowing 10-point leads in back-to-back weeks. Sorry. 100% true. You are not going to build a winning culture, a culture predicated on success with a new coach, new GM, new players, if you're blowing leads every week. This is not funny. I don't care if it's tanking or not. This is wrong. And this is an indictment on the Bears as a roster, but also a little bit on Matt Eberflus. What's going on down there? Why are we blowing 10-plus point leads two weeks in a row and losing to teams you should be beating? And then, Luke Getze, why are you running Justin Fields after you know his shoulder's hurting? I just don't like this. This situation, this entire way the Bears are doing operations here. You left your QB out to dry. You're, you're losing games and blowing leads. Now they are the worst team in the NFC. And if the objective is to get a high draft pick, they're going to succeed. But remember this. There's a culture that needs to be built. You have to build a culture. Matt Eberflus was brought in to win, right? Ryan Poles brought in to win, brought in to be different than the status quo, be different than Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. But we all know the Bears aren't going to be there this year. I'll say this. Everybody will remember blowing all these games come next year. You have not developed a culture yet. That's a fact. Had the Bears developed a culture, had the Bears been all about helping this team grow and succeed, we wouldn't be seeing undisciplined play, bad penalties, running Justin Fields when he's hurt, blowing 10-plus point leads. See what I mean? That's the part that's frustrating. Again, not mad, even though I am, I'm disappointed. The Bears know better. Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, everybody knows better. Luke Gensey knows better. Don't be running your quarterback when his shoulder hurts. Why are we blowing 10-plus point leads two weeks in a row? Why are the penalties adding up when the whole mantra of the Bears is hits and discipline? There was no discipline. There's been no discipline the past three or four weeks. It's so funny. Justin Fields breaks out. And then penalties increase. And the Bears' play somehow gets worse, and they're losing more games, and they have a four-game losing streak. It's head-scratching. <laughs> you think with Fields doing better, they get better. Like, early in the year, Fields sucked. Bears were winning. Now Fields is doing great. Bears are losing. I don't understand, but I'm not satisfied nor happy with this stuff. And with me, tanking can only go so far. And by the way, this was not a moral victory. Second week in a row where I've seen people say it's a moral victory, move on. No. A moral victory means you played your heart out. You nearly won it. The other team simply beat you. No, the Bears beat themselves again. Again, they did that. They were up by 10. There is no moral victory. You blow a 10-point lead, then lose the game late. No moral victory this week. No victory of any kind this week. It was a tank job. It was a joke. The Bears should have won this game. And I am not satisfied nor happy 
with their performance. Justin Fields looked fine. I mean, he threw the ball more, which was nice. A lot of people commenting, saying that Fields did not throw enough. Got to remember, Fields scrambled a lot yesterday. Why? Pressure. Pocket collapsing. Fields was pressured so much. No protection from the offensive line. So Fields should have thrown more. There are probably more designed pass plays, but because of horrible protection, he had to run. He did okay. I'd love to crush him more for the interception late in the game, but he was hurt. Really, what should have happened, seriously, is Trevor Simeon probably should have come in. Not because Fields sucks, but because Fields was hurt. I mean, he was holding his shoulder, whether it's non-throwing or not. I mean, that's going to affect you. Trying to throw a football, that was a jump throw he made, too. He jumped up and threw it. It was weak and then packed. He was not feeling well. He was not healthy. He's supposed to be day-to-day now, but still. At that point, you put in your backup and you have him trying to lead you to a victory and you make sure you're starting to be your future is okay. The Bears didn't do that. It seems like week after week, we see more failures coaching-wise between Matt Eberflus and Luke Getzey. This reflects on Matt Eberflus big time, and the Bears aren't going to fire him. I mean, he's going to be here for at least two more years, but just keep this all in mind. Two straight weeks, 10-plus point leads, blown, incinerated. Bears lose games after winning by 10 and 14. How do you justify that? The Bears are tanking. That's the justification. That's not a good enough answer to me. we got to remember this stuff. I know the objective is Justin Fields. Of course it is. But as a team, blowing leads like that two weeks in a row, being undisciplined defensively and with penalties in general, it kind of shows a bit of regression on Matt Eberplus's part. That's something we should be concerned about and following for the rest of the season. We have seen regression right now from Matt Eberplus. Can't argue with it. That's a fact. And although Fields has progressed and the offense has progressed, Eberplus and his philosophies and this team's performance overall, everything, all-encompassing, has regressed. Matt Eberplus is all about discipline, all about hits. We see more penalties. We see more blown leads. We see 10-plus point leads being blown two weeks in a row. And we see Justin Fields running after being killed in his shoulder. I really think the coaching is going to be under immense scrutiny these next couple of weeks. This is an indictment coaching-wise. The Bears lost yesterday. The Bears lost to Detroit. An indictment on the coaching more than anybody else. We need to see more discipline out of this team. We're not seeing that. And there's only so much Justin Fields could do. When you're being pressured constantly, when you are injured and still having to run a quarterback-designed run with your shoulder hurt, then what are we doing? I don't know if Fields is going to play this weekend. We're going to have to see. If he doesn't, or even if he does, I think the Bears should be expected to win. And I say expected in quotes because if the Bears are tanking, I'm not going to pick them to win. But really, if we're looking just on paper, the Bears should win this game. They're facing Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, at this point, is a bust. The Bears have to win that game. We can't be bargaining with anybody. The Bears should be winning against New York on Sunday. And if they don't, that's another failure by Ibraplus and company. They need to stop failing, and somebody needs to hold them accountable. We are all infatuated, rightfully so, with Justin Fields and his development. But what about Matt Ibraplus? What about blowing two 10-plus point leads? 
where's the accountability there? Something to think about. Same for Luke Getsy calling that play with Fields. Luke Getsy has done a good job at adjusting to Fields, but that was just a stupid play call. And that whole drive was just horrible. You got a minute 47. That's a chance for you to win the game, even just to get a field goal to tie it. The Bears couldn't even do that. I was sad. And Fields and Gutsy and Eberblus, everybody needs to be trained and learn how to do a two-minute drill. And look, if Fields is hurt next time, if something happens to Fields for inside two minutes, you take him out, you put in Trevor Simeon. I mean, it's not a disciplinary benching. It's, hey, he's hurt, and we need to win this game. The Bears, obviously, another reason why I think they're tanking, they didn't do that. They kept Fields in hurt. They kept him in hurt. They let him get hit again. And Fields, weakly, because he's already hurt, throws a pick easily. Of course it's going to happen. This was a professional tank job. The Bears are continuing to tank. Nobody can convince me otherwise here. And if you like that, that's fine. That's your prerogative. I don't, simply because you need to build a culture. And they're not doing that today. This is not a culture. It's a culture of tanking and a culture of losing and a culture of blowing leads and undisciplined penalties. This is not something you want to be associated with. So something needs to change. And if I were you, as you watch the Bears this week, and even for the rest of this year, pay attention to Matt Eberflus. Justin Fields, number one, of course, but Eberflus second. We need to see the discipline from the beginning of the year continue. The, the Bears have been a rough patch. Eberflus's philosophy of hits seems to no longer be working. We're seeing more penalties, less takeaways, although the Bears had two yesterday, but overall less takeaways too. But the things that Eberflus preaches are not being practiced, and they were being practiced before. So something's wrong there. The Bears are blowing 10-plus point leads in two straight games. The Bears are the worst team in the NFC, the second-worst team in the NFL. You could chalk it all up to tanking if you want, but I'm going to say this. Part of this lies on Eberflus' shoulders, and we have to watch and hold him accountable moving forward. If the Bears are winning, and if they turn things around, I'm not going to be pissed, but... You can't say this is all tanking and just completely not care about what else is going on for this team. Justin Fields, as we've seen, cannot single-handedly help the Bears out right now. Fields is playing well, and the Bears are still losing. So what else is going on, and what do the Bears need to address for next year? Well, Eberplus's philosophies are, for some reason, not resonating with Bears players. And the Bears are not practicing what he preaches. So how could that be fixed? And what will the Bears do to fix that and build a winning culture before next year when you have all this money to spend and then you're going to be a real contender? The Bears should be expected next year to be a playoff team. No doubt about it. And if they're not, that's a failure. So what are they doing today to get to that point? Right now, they're taking steps backwards, not forwards. That's what concerns me. We have to expect the Bears win this week, too. Even if they're going to lose or they're trying to tank, if you lose to Zach Wilson, who, by the way, has worse numbers right now than Jamarcus Russell and Johnny Manziel, if you lose to Zach Wilson and the Jets, I think it's time to really have a serious talk about this Bears team. Can't be losing those games. It's concerning. 
this loss to Atlanta, although it was expected, it was concerning. They need to start winning games. They should be winning. They need to build a culture of success, not failure, not all we've tried, not we're trying to tank, not a tanking culture, a winning culture. There's a difference. Because you know what? Tanking cultures don't always lead to winning cultures. How many teams over the years have tanked or have just been bad and are still bad? Detroit being one of them. Top of my mind. Right? Detroit has always been bad. They're always looking for the top pick. And you know what? They're still mediocre. They still suck. And they're not going anywhere. Miami, for the longest time, had the tanking culture, too. If you start and you make it okay and you make it acceptable to tank, players will know that. Players see it. And then come next year when the Bears should be good, they're not going to be good. Or they're going to be average. Or they're going to go below expectations. This is why it's important to teach a team how to win. The Bears aren't doing that right now. And until they do, we're going to see more of these BS losses. For lack of a better term, BS losses. The Bears should have won this game. We all know it. You and I both know what the Bears were winning this game. It's unacceptable that they lost this game, that they blew it. So my hope is that things improve moving forward. But do me a favor, as you watch the rest of this year, pay close attention to this entire team and not just Justin Fields. Because if you do, you're going to realize the Bears still have other problems that need to be fixed. If they don't fix them, it's going to be a losing and a tanking culture moving forward, even when they should be good. For to come here on Sports Talk Chicago, my interview with Tom Waddle comes up next. So stay tuned. On Chicago, Robert John McLuhan, we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the host of Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000 and a former Bears wide receiver. Please welcome Tom Waddle to the program. Tom, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me and belated happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. Thanks for being here. I mean, it's Black Friday morning. Everyone's shopping and you're here. So I feel pretty special. I, John, I don't shop. Uh, you know, I have I have a wife and four daughters. They do enough shopping on their own, so uh, I limit myself for sure. You've never done the Black Friday thing, have you? I have not. No, no. It's it's not something that I'm interested in. Uh, if I need something, I I ask my wife or I go online, but I don't get out in the you know in in the traffic for sure. How was your Thanksgiving? It was really good. You know, my four daughters were all uh, here. I have one that lives in New York and another one that is a freshman at Boston College. So having them both come into town has been great. So uh, all four daughters were here, my wife, obviously. So the six of us last night. So it's you, you, you're, you know, speaking of Thanksgiving, you're very thankful to be able to do stuff like this. So uh, I'm very blessed and very thankful for the, the fact that my girls were in town. What have you made of the Bears so far this season? Let's talk some Bears. Uh, entertaining. I mean, hard to say a three and eight teams entertaining, but like, <laughs> you know, you know, we're used to watching an inept offense and a defense that can get after some people. But at the end of the day, we don't put enough on the scoreboard to beat most teams. And that hasn't, that hasn't been the case. Um, you know, big picture. I said this at the very beginning of the season and, and I, and I stay, you know, I, I stand firm on how I have felt all along. I, I looked at this year as a complete rebuild. 
you've got a new new front office that came in and job one for them was to actually distance themselves from the past. And I don't say that in a malicious manner, but what they wanted to do was they wanted to clean up their books financially. They wanted to kind of move on from the people that were here for an extended period of time and, and start their own thing. And, and there's pain associated with that. Um, so I, I, I didn't have any real strong expectations that this was going to be a good year for them record-wise. And, and as I said at the point as well, I said, John, you know, look, it's hard for, you know, it's hard for everyone to actually come to this admission because winning is everything in sports. But I really wasn't concerned with their overall record this year. My biggest concern was we saw some of their young guys make progress, specifically their quarterback. So at this point... You know, there are, there's a lot to, to continue to accomplish and there's a lot more progress to be made. But like, I don't look at the three and eight record and say, wow, this, this has been a horrible season. I, I look at the three and eight record and say, well, they've accomplished something. And most importantly, what they found out is, is that Justin Fields is their guy going forward. And to me, that was the most important, you know, uh, accomplishment so far anyway. Have you evaluated Fields' progress from week one to today? Um, I think it's never linear. I mean, it's, it's the, it's, it's a roller coaster playing that position. It's the toughest position in all of sports and to play it when you don't have a ton around you, uh, and you're learning and the offense is being shifted and you're, you know, to step back, you're learning your third offense in three years, which I don't think many people really kind of acknowledge how difficult that can be. Uh, just the terminology. And one of the things too, is, that, that I'm most impressed with. I, I always knew he was a good leader. I always knew he had a, you know, tremendous skill set. His his football IQ also came as advertised coming out of Ohio State with Ryan Day. But I would advise people to to look at the little things as well when you're evaluating him and to think about it again. He's on his third offense in three years. He doesn't have a ton of talent around him. They've shifted kind of what they've been asking him to do over the course of the year. And you tell me how many times do they look confused coming out of the huddle? How many times are they scrambling to get a playoff? How many times do they get a delay of game penalty? There are a couple of them, but not many. And, and I think, you know, and, and maybe I'm just going to the basics too much, but for me, that, that's, that's been impressive from the start. Okay, so that's your baseline. So he's, he's, he's understood what is going on. There's no chaos, which is comforting to me. And then you watch him play, and, and you know, obviously they've adjusted the offense to him. And, and it's something, and you and I have talked about this a ton. It's it's the I thought it was the mortal sin of the previous regime with Mitch. You know, I could identify what Mitch did well and what he didn't do well early in his career. It took Matt Nagy until the final four games of Mitch's fourth system to finally put a system in place that actually catered to what Mitch did well. And, you know, I, I, I just thought that that was, you know, that was criminal in some ways. And it took, it took Luke Getze all of four or five games. And, and I know everyone was screaming, why didn't you have the design runs earlier? Well, because Jesus, it takes a while to learn your personnel. It takes a while to install an offense. It takes a while to find out what your quarterback's, you know, your quarterback's comfortable with. So I had no problem with them not getting to the design runs until week five or six after the short buy. So um, 
look, he's the most dynamic runner of the football in the league right now, with all due respect to Lamar Jackson. People want to talk about Josh Allen. Josh Allen's great, but Josh Allen's 6'6 and 240 pounds and runs a 4'8. Justin's 6'3 <laughs> and 230 runs a 4'4. I mean, like, there's really no, to me, in terms of being a pure athlete, there's no comparison. Uh, the passing game, that you know, there's progress there, but at the end of the day, you know, there's more that needs to to take place in the kind of the drop back thing. And I'm sure we can get to that later, but uh, again, the, the progress is never linear, but I think what we found out is, is he's got a skill set that can be very beneficial going forward when you mesh it and you meld that into some of the other things that hopefully they'll be able to do when they get more skill inside the huddle. You know, I've loved the run first mentality from fields, but my concern is, and a lot of other people feel the same way. How sustainable do you think this is at some point he's going to have to throw the ball more, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, it can always be a part of what you're doing. I think, you know, last game, uh, I think Jalen Hurts ran it 16 times. Um, I think Justin is on pace to run it more than any other quarterback in the league. There's no <laughs> doubt. And that number will come down. Um, yeah, it, it ha- John, it have to. that you, you just can't. Like, he's a big, strong guy. I said this two weeks ago on the air. I said, you know, I think the league is – figuring out that he's bigger, stronger, and faster than they could have ever imagined. Because you watch film and you see defenders that are kind of closing in on him, thinking they're either going to catch him or bring him down, and he's gone, or he just breaks an arm tackle. I mean, it's really – I think the league is, is – is, it takes a while for them to figure out what is happening. Um, but, yeah, you can't – I, I said a couple of weeks ago I was mentioning that he can still run the football, but the efficiency of the offense, when all of the scoring is surrounding his explosive ability and all that they're asking him to do, at some point in this league, you're going to get dinged up. You know, Whether it's a shoulder or it's a hamstring or you roll your ankle, whatever it is. Like we saw it last year. He got hurt a little bit last year. When he's not able to go 1,000 miles an hour, they're going to have to adjust things because he's not going to break all those arm tackles and he's not going to run away from everyone because you just can't physically be a hundred percent and being asked to do what he's being asked to do over the course of 17 games. So my thought was even a couple of weeks ago was, Hey, we, okay, we've, we've learned this. We've implemented this. We're not going to the playoffs. So what we need to do now is on the final you know, and, and, and this was barring him getting hurt the final four or five or six games of the season. Let's just forego the efficiency of the offense. We know if we're sitting back in the pocket, they're not going to score as many points because they're more dangerous when he's moving. But at the end of the day, you need that growth. You need that progress. And my, if I was Luke Getzey, I'd be in the film room every day saying, look, Justin, we're going to adjust some things here now. We're going to throw the ball a little bit more, protect you, protect your legs and do some other things to try to see if we can get some growth in there and some progress on that end. And don't worry if you throw an interception or two, because if you watch film of him now and he's in the pocket, he's, he's reluctant to throw it at times. He's not an anticipatory thrower and he's, he's more of a see it, throw it guy, which you see a lot with young quarterbacks. Um, But now I would go into whenever he comes back, whenever he plays, don't worry about making mistakes in the passing game. Those are all learning experience, but I would focus on them throwing it more for the remaining part of the season for sure. Just, not just to protect him, but that's part of the process. That's part of the growth process as well. You know, so teams are going to, you know, teams made the adjustment. If you look at the Falcons film, 
they did a really nice job of, of, of trying to deem Pease as an experienced defensive coordinator. And going forward, you're going to see some defenses that have a plan for it, so you're going to have to counter what they do to you. How good of a passer is Fields right now to you? I don't I, – you know, I said this on, on – when was the last day I worked? Oh, Wednesday. I said, I think for me, for me, it's unfair to judge him as a passer in total – until you get a situation where he's more adequately protected and there's a little more talent, a little more, there's significantly more talents on the fringe, on the edge, because like there were three instances in that game, John, that, that just make you, you know, scratch your, your head. There were two sacks on called screen passes. Okay. Like you, that, that, I think that that describes how porous the pass protection can be. And there was another situation where they had seven guys in, the Falcons rushed four and still sacked him in a matter of three three clicks. So, um, you know, it's 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 hard to get a beat on it. I would say right now he's most comfortable on the move. Like he makes a few throws every game that just are there that wow you. I think the throw to Montgomery was on the on the edge was was really a great throw. Um, he. He's not overly accurate over the court right now. I mean, you look at his completion percentage, it's probably right at 60%. And a lot of that includes a lot of wide receiver bubble screens and, and screens, but that's okay. I mean, you know, he's under duress a lot and he's, like I said, doesn't have a lot of a talent out on the edge at this point. I would say right now, you know, I would mediocre in terms of a passer, you know, nothing that I'm going to be all up in arms about. And, and again, as I said, Anyone who wants to define who he is at this point to me, or you're being premature, I, I don't think you know who he'll be as a passer until he's got better guys around him. I think Luke Getzey, again, has done a brilliant job with, with the design of plays. In the red zone, they're a nightmare because to defend because Justin's a threat to run, and when he gets on the move, that's where he's comfortable and he's most accurate. The play design's been really good, too. Uh, he needs to work on his deep ball accuracy. I think we see that. I, mean, I think he missed Darnell Mooney in the game against the Falcons. I don't think he's got a high completion percentage on a lot of that. Um, but if he can see it and, and he can throw it, I mean, he's got a, a ridiculously strong arm. I think these are all things that need to be refined, you know. So you want to make a long-term conclusion about what he is or who he is as a passer right now, have at it. I, I don't think it's fair to him until you know we see some improvement around him what kind of improvement do you want to see the bears do first and foremost you got to protect the pocket i mean you just have to you again i can describe to you you know you can't i don't care if he's a is a young quarterback listen if you if i said i i know trevor a little bit trevor's a great guy his his wife and my daughter were were college soccer players together at northwestern i, I have a lot of respect for trevor but i said all week if trevor plays I can't say, say a prayer for Trevor, not because he's not a competent player, but that Jets defensive line is just dynamic. And if the Bears can't protect a mobile quarterback, they're not going to be able to prote- protect a pocket passer. Uh, so I, for me up front, they got They got to secure the pocket. I, I think the kid Braxton Jones can play very good technique. He's just light in the ass, I think, as they would tell you in the offensive line jargon. You know, but he's coming out of a smaller school. You get him in the, in the weight room for, you know, full off season, maybe getting bigger and stronger. Um, they got to secure in the interior of their offensive line. Tevin Jenkins can play when he's on the field. He's nasty. But I, I would say they definitely need another tackle. But that's where I would look. I, I think you have to 
you have to secure what you're doing up front first and foremost, and then you can work on the edge with, with receivers, but uh, boy, that line's got to get better. What do you think about their receiving core now? I mean, the Claypool trade made them a little bit better, but do you still foresee more moves to be made? Have to. Uh, you have to. I think, you know, I've said this all along and people don't like to hear it because they immediately everything you say is interpreted as a, a criticism. I think Darnell's a, you know, he's a solid too. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. I think he's a really good player. I think of all the guys that I watch on film with them, he's got good speed. He's got good wiggle in his routes. He fought the ball a little bit last year. I don't see that as much this year. I think he's a good player. You can't rely on him because of his body size. You can't rely on him as a one, and he's not a one. So if you have him as your two plus or your you know two B or whatever you want to call, it, Claypool begins to develop a little bit, shows you a little bit more. Now you got another solid guy, and you got to find one. I, I mean, you got to find a guy in the draft. I don't know that that guy's going to be available via free agency, but you, you know they've got so much cap space and draft picks that. Nobody thought that Tyreek Hill was going to be available. No one thought A.J. Brown was going to be available. Some teams have cap problems and then have to unload guys. That's when you have to have the ability financially and with the draft currency to be able to swoop in and get those guys. But they definitely need an upgrade there. Uh, Equinemius St. Brown is a fantastic blocker. I would have him on my roster, but he's, you know, he's a fifth. He's your fifth guy. Um Guys have tried. I mean, they, they're doing it. You know, it's not a lack of effort. There's just not a, a ton of talent out there. I will say I am a little bit, and, and I would never jump to any conclusions. Um, the Claypool thing, I was all for it. He's six foot four and 225 pounds and runs a four, four, 40. It, it needs to show up a little bit more on film. And again, I, it's, he's got, he's learning an offense and it'll take some time, but like you spent a second round pick on him. You know, you got to start seeing some dynamic stuff from him, and hopefully we will see some of that stuff in the remaining five or six games. Why do you think we haven't seen him or seen him much? I uh, Well, I, I think he was on the – I think a chart I was doing the film, and, and I think I saw him on the play, on the field for 17 or 18 pass plays against the Falcons. Um, I don't think, John, they're really comfortable with him in the blocking aspect of their offense. Uh, first of all, I think it's, it's, it's new – it's new verbiage, so it takes a while to get acclimated. I mean, I'm I'm not again, I'm not panicking in any way, shape, or form. We live in this you know, this microwave society where everyone wants everything right away. Same way everyone wanted Justin to run it 15 times in the first couple of weeks of the season, and now everyone's like, Whoa, what are you doing? You can't run it. I mean, like, Jesus, people, find it. Find around, will you? Um but I, I think it takes a while to learn the offense. And they have, you know, they're, it's really cool. I said this the other day. I like watching film of them offensively because their schemes are, you understand it. Like I put, and again, I hate to, to go back, but I always, I was watching film of the previous regime. And I always said, what I would say is, I don't understand what they're trying to do. But when you watch film of what these guys are doing, 98% of the time or 95% of the time, I know what they're trying to do. And in the running game, there's a lot asked of these guys. Like Equinemia St. Brown is 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 a huge part of their success in the running game, both with the quarterback and the backs, because he's he's sealing defensive ends. He's just doing a lot of stuff. So I think it's I don't think they're comfortable with him right now. And think about it: if you're trying to develop a young quarterback and you've got a, a you know a receiver, to I don't think they're comfortable with Dayless Jones in terms of him 
having a full grasp of what is expected of him in the offense as well. So like, I wouldn't write him off either. Um, that one doesn't look great at the moment, but um, you know, give it time. You got to give it time. So I, I think it, it'll, it'll take an adjustment. It'll take him being Claypool being, you know, more comfortable in the offense and, and them being comfortable with him. And I just would like to see him get out on the edge and, and with his size and speed, there should be some moments where you just say, Hey, chase cornerbacks on you just run a nine route just go and he should be able to physically because he's bigger than most cornerbacks and fastest as the cornerbacks there should be some separation so i'm hoping to see some of that later in the year what are you thinking about this weekend's matchup bears jets pray for trevor um <laughs> if that's the case you know I, look i i i think that <clears throat> I think it's going to be a tough go. I don't, I'm not impressed with the Jets offense. Um, how could you be? I think they had two total yards in the second half. I think they did the right thing because they're, you know, they're looking for a playoff spot, making a quarterback change. That, that defense is vicious. Um, I think my hope would be if there's any question at all, just sit Justin. I mean, there's no reason. I've had a dozen shoulder separations and it's, you, you don't worry about, you don't worry about structural issue really. You just worry about pain management. Um, and really like if it's, if it's going to affect the way he throws or the way he protects himself, then, then wait for the green Bay game or wait till after the green Bay game, after the green Bay game, you get a buy. Um, maybe I'm just getting soft in my old age, but I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I would be very cautious. Um, so I mean, I mean, I don't think it's going to be that entertaining of a game. I, I'm looking forward to, you know, look, I, I, I like Trevor as a backup quarterback. So if he's out there, I'm looking to see if this, this offense has got any juice in a different style. I'd be interested to see what Luke Getzey does to adapt a, an offense in a matter of a week to a pocket passer versus what they've done. So, I mean, these are all opportunities to learn from, from different situations, but I don't have a lot of high hopes about what's going to go on on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of the whole Zach Wilson situation? So he's benched. Mike White's coming in. Um, have you yeah. seen anything like that too when you played? Um, I I don't recall seeing a guy that was so bad but wouldn't assume responsibility for his <laughs> inept. And I think, you know, I'm not around this, this this situation, so I'm just I'm making you know suppositions, but um, and assumptions. I I just don't. I think that think that, that you could see the difference between how he's handled things and the way Justin has handled things. And, you know, when you're bad, you, you just, you got to own it, especially if you're got to, you know, you go into that defensive film room or that locker room and they're holding up their end of the bargain and you guys are offensively just a disaster. You can't come out and say, you know, Hey, when they ask you, do you, do you, you know, whatever they said to him, do you feel responsible for it? Do you, you, you feel bad about it? And you, you can, no, not yet. of course you should. And I think you saw what Justin did the, you know, after the game, he went in and apologized to the defense and like, no, we're good. Don't worry about that. But I, I think that, you know, that's, that's the sign of, of being a young leader. And I don't know that Zach Wilson has, has learned that. I wasn't a Zach Wilson guy coming out anyway i mean i wouldn't give up on him i mean you can't i thought it was the right decision i think you know as it was described by many you know people are worried well if you bench him you lose him well if you don't bench him you lose the other 52 guys potentially on a six and 14 that is looking to go to the postseason so 
um, you know, a little humility and a little bit of reset for the young quarterback isn't the worst thing in the world. So um, not surprised in the slightest that they made that decision to move on from him, at least for the time being. What to come with Tom Waddle in just a moment. Stay tuned. Vince Yance, Sports Talk Chicago. Tom Waddle still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Tom, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, wanted to talk about your toughness. How did you sustain so many injuries when you played and still play at such a high level? Well, first of all, I was a very mediocre athlete, so if I was slowed down a little bit, it really didn't make a damn bit of difference. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't look at myself as being overly tough. I, I, I loved playing the game is, is kind of what was at the core. I just I wanted to play. I chose the, the school in college. You know, I went to, to Boston College because I thought I could play. Not because I thought it was going to go to the NFL, but I loved playing football. So I thought there was an opportunity that I was going to get a chance to play early there. And I did. I played as a freshman, which is, you know, look, I went to school to get an education as well. And I did. I got a finance degree from BC, but I, w- I was, if I'm going to go and play, I'm going to play. Um, and when I got here and I finally kind of earned my spot, I, I want, I loved playing. So uh, I was willing to do whatever you asked me to do. I mean, it didn't make me a hero, didn't make me a warrior, didn't make me anything. But, you know, if Harbaugh said, hey, look, I need you to sit down in between Benny Blades and Chris Spielman, like, who was I to say no? You know, I would go sit down right in that little hole between Benny Blades and Chris Spielman, and odds are one of them would light me on fire after I, the ball was thrown at me. But, like, that was that was cool. That was me living a dream. So I had no no complaints. You know, I was always joking that if I did have a God-given ability, it was that I was really – I didn't care if somebody hit me very hard. So, um, you know, it's just – again, I think that you can't play that game and not be tough. So I wasn't any tougher than anybody else. It just – I was caught more frequently because I couldn't get away from anyone. You, if you played football today, do you think you'd be better than you were before based on these new rules and all these safety measures? I think I would finally wear gloves because <laughs> those gloves are should be legal because they're such an advantage. I know I'm joking. I, um, my God, I never wore gloves because back in the day, the technology, the gloves we had were these Newman gloves. I'm sure you've seen them. They were black and they were gray. And if it was cold enough that the leather would freeze. So they really, they didn't do anything. So I wore them, but these, these gloves, holy mother of mercy, like those, it's almost impossible to drop a football with those gloves. Um, no, I think that anything that would have been beneficial to a receiver in terms of the rules in today's game would have been negated by the increased athletic ability of everyone across from me. Everyone's so much bigger, faster, and stronger. I mean, even think it, Anyway, there was never a time really for us where we had, there was a receiver like Brandon Marshall, like six foot four and 230 pounds and can run like the wind. And, and conversely, you know, you didn't have Brian Erlacher linebackers like six foot four and 250 pounds and could run like the wind. So guys have gotten so much bigger and faster and stronger. It's, um, you know, I, I don't want to play in today's age. I played, I was fine playing back in the old days. <laughs> Which iteration of the NFL do you like more, yours or this one now? 
I like this one. I think it, you know, it highlights the, it highlights the athleticism and the great, you know, the, the great skill of everybody. Uh, there's a time and place for everything, you know, I mean, it's the evolution of the sport. And I, I would say about pretty much any sport, like some would tell you, I enjoy the NBA back in the old day. I don't know why. Um, because the three point shot wasn't there and the athleticism wasn't highlighted. I like today's NBA more than the NBA of years gone by. And I feel the same way about the NFL. Um, you know, I don't think they're baby. I don't think they're overly babying people. I think what they should do though, John is give, I think like roughing the passer calls should be reviewable. I think that's what you should do. I don't think anybody wants to see a battle of backup quarterbacks on a Sunday. It's just don't like with all due respect to backup quarterbacks, <laughs> people want to see Tom Brady square off with Aaron Rodgers. You know, they don't want to see game, Blaine Gabbert square off with Jordan Love. They just don't. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with them protecting the quarterbacks to a degree, you know, like everything, you know, let's be, let's, you know, I think you got to protect guys. And I think that they do. I think they go overboard at times and, penalties like that should be reviewable but i definitely think the game today is is more exciting than it's ever been and tom before we finish up today last question what's the funniest moment you've been a part of on waddle and sylvie well wow funniest moment we've been doing this now for 15 years so god i now you caught me i don't know that i have a (laughs) firm that the funniest thing that has ever happened um I don't know. That now, like I'm at, I'm, I'm never at a loss for words, but I am now. I would say I would, uh, you know, flip the script on you and say the maybe the most, and it's back in the news now, is maybe the most recognized things that has ever happened is we're the reason why Barkley and Jordan don't speak anymore, because it was an interview that we did with Charles Barkley where he actually talked about you know, Michael needing to hire other people other than his friends. That was that art, that interview went, went national was picked up by TMZ and everybody else. And it ended up being kind of the, the impetus for the relationship being non-existent. So that's not a funny one because I want to ever <laughs> in the sports world. We all want great players and personalities. You know, we want to see the interaction of all of that, but, I think I just I, I took it at 180 degrees instead of the funniest thing is probably the least funny thing that we've ever done. But I'm not sure. It's interesting. I, I don't know. You know what? I, I, give me time to think about it. And I'll come back on your show at a later time and have a better answer for you. That sounds great. No, that sounds good. What uh, what was the aftermath of that Barkley and Jordan thing? Like what, what happened afterwards? We were scared to death that like Charles was going to hate us because we've had such a great relationship with charles charles is quite frankly and i've said this for decade plus now he's the nicest superstar you'll ever meet like whether it's on the street whether it's on the air like doesn't turn down autographs doesn't he'll engage with you just a normal guy who's brilliant at what he did and what he does now uh so we were most and we've never had michael on obviously we all love michael and you know greatest player in nba history we never had a relationship really with Michael. So we weren't worried that Michael wasn't going to pick up the phone calls <laughs> anyway, but we were concerned that Charles was, you know, we would have alienated Charles and, and in typical Charles fashion, he was like, dude, you guys didn't do anything. You asked me a question and I answered, and he, you know, his perspective was, 
you know, if somebody that's, he said, that's my job. That's who I am. That's what I do. I'm not going to lie. He wasn't disrespectful. He was just very, very honest. And, and I think, you know, obviously again, from the outside looking in, it didn't sit well with Michael. So yeah, like we, I don't know if we feel guilty because we, that wasn't, we weren't, this wasn't like a radio hit job. We were like, right. okay, we sat in a meeting beforehand. We go, what can we ask Charles is a question about where he's going to say something and we can make national news. That had nothing to do with it. We just were asking a question, you know, as great as Michael was, maybe the greatest team player in all of professional sports. Why can't, why, why wasn't he having success as an owner or general manager? And Charles basically said, because he's hiring all his friends, he needs to go out and quit hiring his friends and hiring other people. So, like, it was a legitimate question that wasn't asked with any angle to it. And then we didn't really think anything of it afterwards. He was like, yeah, Chuck was, you know, Charles was just being honest and gave us a good, honest answer. Wasn't being disrespectful or, or you know, overly critical. It was just telling you what he thought. And, and I think you can talk about your friends, and they were great friends at the time, and, and be honest. So we never really thought anything about it. Next thing you know, ESPN.com wrote, you know, took the story and the quotes and it showed up everywhere. And we were like, oh, shit, no. This is- <laughs> oh, well. And it, it, you know, it turned into, you know, maybe the, the, the dissolution of the greatest sports relationship of all time. <laughs> so, like, yeah, we, I don't know. I feel a little bad about it, but. What are you going to do? There was no no negative intention. You know, you've been in this business long enough to know there are people that will ask questions just to get a got you moment. Like we don't, we don't, it, we weren't trying to do that. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it came back. You know why it came back? Because Charles was on Tom Brady's podcast this week, and Tom Brady asked him. He was like, "Is there anything about the media that you know?" being in the media that, that, you know, you have regrets or whatever about, and he told the story basically, or his, his thing was, you know, that's, that's one of the negative, you know, issues associated with being in the industry was, you know, that that relationship kind of doesn't exist anymore because of that. He didn't mention us. He just mentioned the thing. And then everyone went back and said, Oh yeah, the genesis of all this was an interview he did on ESPN 1000 with Waddle and Sylvie. And so now we get, you know, I'll get the occasional text or tweet from people like guys, you ruined the greatest relationship in all the sports. Like (laughs) wasn't our intention. So crazy. Well, Tom, crazy. Thank you so much for being here. Um, always a pleasure. Really appreciate the time. Looking forward, of course, to listening to Waddle and Sylvie every day on ESPN 1000. And, uh, looking forward to the next time we catch up as well. You got it. Happy holidays to you and yours, John. And next time I talk to you, I'll have some sort of funny story for you for sure. <laughs> Great talk there with Tom Waddle. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglou. Want to watch more of the show? Head on over to Sports Talk Chicago. So long, everyone. No! No! You're the turtle!